This is Tea on the Hudson, a news and lifestyle podcast where we're spilling all of the Hudson County tea and more. My name is Jen Trapuka. I'm the founder of HobokenGirl.com and a Hudson County resident. On this show, we share news, lifestyle topics of interest, interviews, and have guest Hoboken Girl contributors on to delve into the things that matter to local residents. Today's episode brings Alan Bari, founder of The Hudson Table and professional poker player, to share his incredible entrepreneurial adventure of how poker prepared him to be a business owner. Later in the show, Sean Engel of Witchy Wisdoms is back to share about all things saging, its benefits, and where to get some locally in the area. This week, I'm keeping it healthy, and we are drinking some purely juiced juice. This is the Choco Laco, and it is so good. It's a banana, dates, coconut milk. It's all of the great things that you'd want in a smoothie, and you can find it on First Street in Hoboken. The Hoboken Girl Helps formal or sale is fast approaching, and if you haven't donated yet, get to it. We have all the details on the site. You can find more information on hobokengirl.com, but we are accepting a ton of different formal wear, and there's six locations that you can drop off in Hoboken and Jersey City by March 26th. Then on March 28th, make sure to come shop. Everything is going to be $5 and under at the sale. It's open to the public, and it's at the Hoboken Community Center, 124 Grand Street. We're so excited for our sale and hope to raise at least $3,000 for Dress for Success of Hudson County. This episode is sponsored by the Hoboken Wellness Crawl. This is a Hoboken Girl hosted event and we're very excited this year because we have over 100 vendors from Hoboken, Jersey City and the greater New Jersey, New York area. And it's gonna be such a blast. Make sure you get your tickets. Our VIP tickets are already sold out and we have a limited number of final tickets. So make sure to get them. And if you use the code T on the Hudson, you get 10% off your general admission ticket. Use the code T on the Hudson to get 10% off your general admission ticket at hobokenwellnesscrawl.com. So grab a mug and let's get started with our news. A new Center for Sleep Disorders has opened at Jersey City Medical Center, RWJ Barnabas announced last Thursday. Located at 410 Jersey Avenue, this center will be providing consultations, diagnostics, and treatment services for patients age 5 and over who are getting less than 7 hours of sleep a night despite going to bed on time. In other health news, a Fort Lee man is the first to test positive for the coronavirus in New Jersey, according to NJ.com. According to officials, however, this positive comes only from a presumptive positive test for the disease. Hackensack University Medical Center is waiting to hear from the CDC to confirm the diagnosis. A second patient from Fort Lee is also suspected to have the virus. This news comes after learning that the first case in New York was in fact confirmed in a female Manhattan resident. We are hoping for a safe and speedy recovery for all, and remember to wash your hands. On February 28th, 79 notices of potential layoffs were given to employees of City Hall in Hoboken. With a budget deficit of a minimum of $7 million, the layoffs appear to be in direct correlation with fiscal woes that Hoboken is facing and has received much backlash and discussion at Wednesday's City Hall Council meeting. We've taken some time to digest the situation post-council meeting and shared an article on the site last Thursday detailing the timeline. Read more about this on hobokengirl.com. 
A 16-year-old female has been arrested in conjunction with a stabbing that occurred on Jackson Street in Hoboken on Wednesday, March 4th. The suspect was taken into custody and brought to Hoboken Police Headquarters. The victim, another juvenile, was transported to Jersey City Medical Center where she was treated for multiple stab wounds. We hope that she is okay and has a quick recovery process. Construction has begun on Jersey City's Hudson Bergen light rail. According to Governor Murphy, quote, extending the light rail will enable more Jersey City residents to get out of their cars and onto mass transit and enable Jersey City to maximize the potential of the Hackensack River waterfront area for smart redevelopment and economic revitalization, end quote. The project is expected to take three and a half years from the start date. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, announced the awarding of $2.7 billion to public housing authorities across all 50 states. New Jersey is said to receive over $85 million of this total, with over $19 million of that being awarded to various parts of Hudson County. Jersey City will receive the largest portion at over $6 million. Plans for the location of former Byright in Jersey City are in the works and seem to include a sprawling retail and restaurant development hotel and large parking facility, according to Jersey Diggs. The scheme would demolish the Byright structure and parking lot currently built on the irregularly shaped parcel, which does not include two gas stations that are located north and south of the property. Designed by New York-based SBLM, the project is being referred to as Gateway and would rise five stories plus a roof terrace. An employee in a Hoboken office building grabbed a man by the sweater to try to stop him from stealing a bike that was not his. The suspect, by the name of Guillermo Mesa, pushed the man to the ground and was then pushed by police and taken into custody. And now for our openings and closings. The Law of Donut Engineering, also known as LODG, has announced on its official Instagram that it has opened at 7 Bleecker Street. This spot will offer craft donut everything, so check it out and be sure to let us know how you like it. Get ready to look sunkissed just in time for spring and summer as Blush Tan has officially opened for business at 161 4th Street in Hoboken. They will not only offer organic hypoallergenic and paraben-free spray tans, but cryoskin as well, a treatment for cellulite skin tightening and fat freezing. Be sure to check them out and book your appointment online. A Chinese dumpling spot, Yasao, appears to be opening its doors soon with signage appearing by the Goldman Sachs building in Jersey City. We'll be sharing more info as we have details. And last but not least, the Woodhouse Day Spa, a spa chain, is coming to Hoboken and will be opening its doors inside the W Hotel, where the Bliss Spa formerly was occupied. The spa, located at 225 River Street, will offer its services to both hotel guests and the public. We'll keep you posted as plans get shared. Our guest today has quite the taste, pun intended, for adventure. Alan was born in Jersey City, raised in West Orange, and educated in New Brunswick. He's been a Hoboken resident for over a decade, but don't let his modest Jersey roots fool you. He spent the past 10 years traveling the world as a professional poker player, a career that culminated with a World Series of Poker bracelet and an experience that ignited his interest in food. He had left a career on Wall Street to pursue poker and then acted on his latest entrepreneurial instinct by enrolling in the French Culinary Institute and founding Hudson Table in Hoboken to address a void in the market, a local cooking school. He is here today to 
discuss all things Hudson Table and his journey. Hey, Alan. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about your journey to Hudson Table. This is a winding journey. It is not linear at all. And that's what I love about entrepreneurs. You started your career on Wall Street and then you got laid off. Wall Street quotes. Wall Street quotes. (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) So, yeah, 2000, summer 2006, I graduated Rutgers and then I got a job right out of Rutgers going to uh, working for AIG. I really just did like spreadsheets and stuff like that. Nothing it was not Wall Street. Like there was no trading. It was very back end. It was just terrible. Not um, feeling it. No. I like, I worked maybe six, no, not even four hours a day. And then I was honestly looking for more work because I was just fast with everything I was doing. And then I would bother other people. And then you got laid off. So I worked there for eight months and then I got a job at Morgan Stanley. I worked there eight months. And during that time I was playing poker on weekends. So my boss let me leave at 12 p.m. on Fridays to go to AC. Um, pretty cool boss. Yeah. Well, I made up the hours the other times, and he I told him I was going to quit if he didn't let me do that. And then I got a job at Morgan Stanley. Um, I worked there for eight months. It was like an interesting job. I, I definitely liked what I was doing there more, but really the whole culture of corporate, the whole corporate culture was just never anything I knew I, would, I, knew I wouldn't want to do. Um, and there I was playing poker also part-time. I didn't leave on Fridays or anything like that. I, back then, online poker was pretty big. So, How did you get into poker in general? Because you left, yeah. you basically left your career in on Wall Street yeah. to be a poker player full-time. Yeah, exactly. So I played poker since I was young. Um, two of my best friends are brothers. They're a year apart, and their dad had a home game, and then we emulated him and had our own home game. And I was really bad in high school, and like we played for a lot of money. And then in college at Rutgers, I we were playing in the dorms, and we would play like 15 hours straight. Wow! Some were days. you just winning like crazy, or were so it just a lot of learning? Eventually, yes. Like by sophomore year is when we had every, there was six guys on our floor that all played poker, and I was winning a significant. I mean, that's how I all my when I would go out to the bars. Yeah. That's that's where I would get my spending money. Um, but I was winning, you know. Probably a couple thousand uh, a month, I would say, in college, which is pretty good pretty money. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just, I guess I had a natural talent because there is, there is math components to it, but uh, a lot of it is reading people and like understanding game flow. Like when people are losing, they bluff more often. When they're winning, they bluff less because they don't feel the need to, stuff like that. So, yeah. And you spent 10 years after you left traveling the world as a poker player. Right. And, then going on to the World Series of Poker, yeah. which is, I mean, not many people say that they can they, yeah. they can do that. That's so cool. actually, everyone you can play in the World <laughs> Series of Poker. So it's I just beg to differ, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you probably wouldn't do well, but you can physically enter. Really? So okay. it's there's sixty to seventy events now, and all you need is just the money to buy in. Interesting. Um, there's no qualifications. There's no requirements, um, which is why it's a lucrative tournament for professionals because there's a lot of non-professionals that are like, oh, I want to play in the World Series. And you just do it. And they do it and they just have no chance to ever win. Right. And then a professional is going to come out on top a, a good per- percentage of the time. So. And you traveled with that all over. Yeah. So 2007, end of 2007, I got laid off. Um, I got a severance package and I wanted to play poker full time, but my mom would not let me. Um, there's no health benefits. No, so I get it. No. <laughs> It wasn't. I, so I got the severance package and I was like, okay, mom, like I can do this for a couple months. And I actually got a sponsor. So 
it's someone who puts up the money for you and uh, they get a piece of, of your action. It's like an agent. Pretty much, yeah. Within two months, I won like three big tournaments. And then I had essentially a backer from 2008 to 2012, 13 is I was going really pretty hardcore full time. 2011, I mean, poker is extremely stressful, like beyond anything I, I could ever. It's, I wish that someone could eventually capture the true struggles in, in a, a documentary. I mean, I've only had one losing year in 11 years and it was not a big losing year, but when you're relying on that for your financial, you know, freedom and then you are losing, it's a pretty big, um, stressor. Yeah. And there's a lot of people are always trying to steal from you or like, it's very common practice to loan someone like 5,000 and then never see it. Yeah. Wow. Or even bigger numbers than that. Sure. Now, what's the most exotic place you played poker? So I used to travel a lot for the European Poker Tournament, and every April, May, you'd, we would go to... So we'd fly to Nice, France, and then we'd go to uh, San Remo, Italy for a week, and then Not bad. you'd drive the other way to, to Monte Carlo. Um, so I didn't play in like the crazy Monte Carlo casino, because the, the poker tournaments are in kind of like a conference room in a hotel. Um, but we did drive through you know, along the coast and we would have lunches out like insane, insanely expensive, like random dinners. It's really cool. But it, you know, I don't want to glorify it because when you play poker for a living, you go to these crazy cities and you're generally spending a lot of time in inside a casino. Yeah. So you're not even truly appreciating like the, the town or the city. How much would you say poker is luck versus skill? I would say probably, so it's kind of a complicated question in a way. Yeah. Um, I would say a very bad poker player can win, but they're not going to win in the long run. So, you know, you you can't look at every session. So, like, tomorrow, for example, I'm actually going to play poker <laughs> for probably 12 to 15 hours. I don't—I try to remove myself from that session in itself because any session, you know, you're going to get unlucky or lucky. Um, you just kind of have to—it's kind of like trading. Like, you don't look at a single day of trading as I was successful or not successful. But I would say 90% is skill. And 10% is luck. Mm -hmm. It depends on what you... Like the World Series of Poker is a poker tournament where you get a limited amount of chips and you, once you're knocked out, that's it. Mm -hmm. So that is a lot of luck because you just have to be situationally lucky where you have a great hand and the other guy has a, a little bit of a worse hand. But even then, like you're 80% to beat that hand that is a little bit less good than yours is. So Right, so it's, it's a balancing game. Exactly. Yeah. It's just pressing. It's just like anything else that statistics space is pressing edges. Yeah. Now, my husband told me to ask this because I'm sure. not a, the biggest poker player yeah. I've played, but I'm yeah. not good. However, he wants to know in all seriousness, like how good are you personally picking up on people's tells, which for those who listen, who are listening and are like me and didn't know what that meant, kind of like the nonverbal cues, right? Yes. Yeah. How is that like a? That's really a thing. That's definitely a thing. Yeah. Once you get into the bigger high roller tournaments, like right now, there's actually a, you can play a hundred thousand dollar tournament where you put up a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, two hundred thousand dollars every other week, mm -hmm. especially in Asia. Um, in those tournaments, you'll if you ever watch them, everyone is extremely robotic in their process. They, they are a real thing. Like in the lower tournaments, there have been many times where I've, I mean, you use other cues like this guy doesn't, it, that way he played this hand doesn't make sense. But in business, like running my business, when I interview people, I could tell right away when someone's telling the truth. I mean, mm -hmm. 
I've had to like when people have done something wrong, they've lied to my face and you're like up oh, your line, you're well, sweating. Just, yeah, well, it's 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 very, it's more so when you have like a long sample size of baseline. So if I know you really well, I'm gonna be able to tell when you're nervous and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So it's almost like an extension of that. The better people who pick up on tells don't need as much of a baseline because they know exactly. Interesting. Now, if you had to apply, you said like 90-10 for that breakdown of like luck versus skill. What would you apply for the entrepreneurial world? Because that's where you are right. now yeah. at Hudson Table. What would that be for a ratio? Probably like 99% skill and 1% luck. Hmm. So it's mostly working and yeah, I mean, hard, hard work. I mean, you can obviously get unlucky with things in regards to like this, the city and when you're like we're opening we just opened Philly and we were four months, five months delayed and a lot of that was out of our control, but I built it into the the amount of money I had. So right. is that luck? I mean it was luck unlucky that we were delayed four to five months, but at this point we've done three build outs. We know Right. It was like your financial skill of knowing. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Now from your poker experience, you had a newfound you had said this to me, you had a newfound passion for food. Yeah. How did that come about? So I, in college, I was a waiter, actually, and I've had a lot of weird jobs. Like in middle school, I started out at TCBY. I love I, TCBY. Yeah. Throwback. Did you ever have Throw-yo. the white chocolate, what is it called? The white chocolate macadamia or something oh, like that. I totally had it. That yeah, was like that was their really best good. flavor. Yep. So I actually only applied there because there was a cute girl working there. <laughs> and then I got the job and then I found out she got fired. Oh, and then you had to work so, there. Yeah, exactly. So I worked there for like three months and um, worked at TCBY Sports Authority in the shoe department. I worked at Olive Garden, but once I got into the food and uh, being a waiter in front of house, I fell in love with that entire aspect. And I mean, you just make so much more money as a waiter than working at like Sports Authority. So yeah, I've just always loved the front of house and, and stuff like that. And when I was traveling a lot with poker, I fell in love with food and I've always been like in college, I always had parties. I've always been kind of like a host and like I enjoyed making the, the food for everybody. Exactly. Well, not like necessarily cooking, but like I, I was good at understanding how much alcohol, like how much, I know that's simple, but no, it's actually, it's a big, yeah. I'm like an overbuyer. So exactly. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I but need o- that. Overbuying is better than underbuying. This is true. You can return stuff. <laughs> that's <but>. true. <laughs> so 2011 or really 2010, 11, I really just poker immediately was, it wasn't a passion anymore. And it's just a very, very negative environment. Like, I was going to say, I can imagine you get really tired of yes. what it is. And it's long hours. During the World Series, I would be there for six weeks and we would play 70 to 80 hours of poker a week. Wow. And you, you just have to do that. That's where all of your income mm-hmm. would come on an annual basis. And I guess I've gotten empathet- more empathetic the older I got and just sitting at tables with people who, you, I mean, right now, the peop- I play in a really big game and the pool of people is really limited. So you see the same people losing. And eventually, unless they're like really bad people, you feel bad. Can I ask you what's like the most you've ever won in one sitting? So I I won a bracelet in 2011, which actually spurred the businesses. I won a bracelet for 874000 That helped yeah. uh, start a business. But I, was, I, was, <laughs> I had a backer, so I only, I actually got like 55% of it because mm-hmm. I had, you make side bets when you're, when you play where it's like, uh-huh. I had a side bet on who would win a bracelet first with a couple of people and stuff like that. So but that's great. And so that really helped catapult you into Hudson Table. Yeah. So I was studying to take my GMAT to, to go to uh, grad school. And a lot of people in poker would be like, oh, awesome. Now I can play more. I was like, no, now I don't ever want to play again. Um, so I just, it takes a long time to scale out of poker because of the money 
it's a lot of money and it's hard to mentally understand that there is other ways to make money. It just might not be as immediate because, I mean, there are nights where I win 10, 15,000 playing poker. It's like, boom, yeah, quick, quick but cash. Like, you know, a business is not as immediate, but, you know, we've been open five years. We're now doing very well and scaling and uh, there's a lot more potential. And, you know, poker, you physically have to be there at the table. Otherwise, you don't make money. Whereas with a business, I don't physically have to necessarily be there. I quality control and I do a million other things, but, you know, I can be away from, from the business and I know that my staff is going to take care of it and make sure that everything's being done as, as I would want it to be done. You opened Hudson Table number one in 2014, which I remember yeah. very well, which became a huge sensation in Hoboken. Yeah. Tell me about the concept of Hudson Table and how you grew that. Sure. Um, so... My wife and I took a cooking class in Atlantic City, and it was a Viking. Uh, it was a Viking cooking class, um, and I didn't want to go. And um, it ended up being like one of the best nights ever. We were with a random couple that I didn't even want to hang out with, and then we had the best night ever, and we hung out with them after. And it was just the entire experience was just amazing. Like taking a cooking class, the wine, the creation, the food quality that we you know it's pretty impressive what you make when it's kind of curated for you. And then we took a bunch of other cooking classes and I just felt like no one was doing it right and everyone was limiting themselves to just cooking classes. Um, so then I kind of modeled the business. My older brother at the time kind of helped me to, he's very risk averse. And so he helped you not like well, fall in, in a He originally way. said, don't do it. <laughs> And I was like, okay, because we were actually going to, we, me and him were talking about opening like a, a pet, like a pet grooming business, mm -hmm. actually like on 12th Also and, lucrative. <laughs> yeah. And well, on 12th and Grand, and then we did the modeling behind it and it's, you know, a little bit tougher of a business. But so, you know, back then I wasn't as, as financial or savvy with finances and things like that. So he helped me and then he kind of finally was like, no, you know what? I think you should do this. I think it's, I think it could work. And it so, did. Yeah. So November, 2014 is when we opened our first location. And then July, 2017, we opened the second location or the second kitchen adjacent to our first in location. Hoboken, yeah. In Hoboken. Yeah. And now Philly. And now Philly. Yeah. What would you say are your favorite types of cooking classes and experiences that you offer at Hudson sure. Table? So I actually, sadly, well, I don't know if I should be saying this, but 70% <laughs> of what we do is hands-on classes, but I actually love the chef's tables and the tasting menus. I've had, I've I been to the, brunch. to the brunch. That one. was yeah, yeah. awesome. It yeah. is really fun because you're, yeah. if, um, if you want to explain sure. chef's tables, but it's such a fun yeah. feeling and vibe. Yeah. So, I mean, it's exactly if for anyone who's seen chef's table or anything like that, it's not too different from a standard chef's table, but you sit around the counter, um, the chef presents a dish. Um, sometimes we're able to have a wine pairing if we can work with a purveyor. So you kind of have this marriage of the wine and the food, but you get a firsthand look at it. And we've kind of developed a fine balance between talking too much and not talking. So if you're on a date, you kind of get presented the dish, the dish, but we're not going to like talk over you on your date. We usually take 30 seconds to present the dish, describe what happened. And then if you have any questions, the chef is there plating like the next dish. And that's and then, such a fun interactive experience with the other people there exactly. too. Yeah. And, and every night is a different menu. So we never repeat menus. And um, you do that every night? We do that three to five times a month in Hoboken because we actually have one tonight. It's 22 people, but we try to do them as often as we can. Like we've now started building, like we have this plated dinner thing where it's, it's not around the counter, but it's a four course dinner where you get to pick your, 
primi and, and secondi. I'm not, probably not pronouncing oh, that correctly, yeah. but <laughs> you get Italian. to pick like either a pasta or a risotto, and then you get to pick either like a steak or, or a duck. And it's pretty amazing for the business because it, it eliminates food waste. So right. it's not like you walk in, you're like, I'll take the chicken. You know, everything is purchased in advance. So we're completely eliminating food waste as much as possible, um, which is why the business is great, really, because everything is purchased in advance. So Except for the people that are coming. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of times customers don't understand that aspect and they kind of like get mad when they email us a couple hours before. They want to like, change something. Yeah. Or? And I'm like, I, you know, it's also like quality control. It's we can't source it from our purveyors. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. It's. It's interesting. It's such a hard business. No matter if you're teaching cooking yeah. classes where they're learning or you're just serving, it is, people are really picky. There's also, I was talking to one of our chefs that live in Miami uh, and we're, I was, we were hanging out with other chefs and I was like, there's a different breed between people who've worked in the service industry or who at least have experienced or hang out with people in the service industry and everyone else. Oh yeah. Because the, you, when you work in it, you realize yeah, 100%. Like what people are going through. And I'm super critical of other businesses, but I'm always open-minded. There are so many times where you can walk into a restaurant and say, why are they doing that? Mm -hmm. But you can be say, why are they doing that? That's stupid. Or you can say, why are they doing that? And actually analyze why they probably have to do that. With chefs, because you mentioned your chefs, you have a, a lot of different chefs that you work with, right? Yeah. It, do you have set staff chefs or do you have people that come in, celebrity chefs? Sure. How does it work? So we have 28 staff in Hoboken. We have 12 staff in Philly right now. Most of the time it's in-house staff. We do like collab dinners. Like we're actually going to have a collab dinner with Cordo, Matt from Cordo in April. Um, and we've done some stuff with Antique. We have did stuff with Union Hall. Mark, owner of Dozino, has come in and done pizza classes. Very cool. But most of the stuff is in-house because for hands-on cooking classes especially, it's hard when someone doesn't know the flow to come in and do, you know, teach a class like of time. 16. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's so, a lot of management. Yeah, 100%. And that's why we generally do these collab dinners where it's like a, a dinner and you're, the chef is a chef, not like an instructor. Sure. Um, because those are easy. You just cook and you make sure the food's amazing. Um, so we've been, we're trying to do a lot more of those. Um, it's just not always easy because generally the better chefs are busier and it's not always easy to line up schedules. And, you know, that's why we do a lot of chef tables on Monday and Tuesday nights because those are the off nights. From um, the weekend, yeah. Yeah, we've done like chef competitions with um, chefs from, from other restaurants. Like we did a, chef competition with one of the chefs from Matthews, Matt from Union Hall. He's a chef owner in Union Hall. He's come in. So we try to, you know, we try to do it as much as possible. And you also get to like interact with a chef that isn't necessary because not many restaurants are open kitchen, even though a lot more are now. So you get to interact with a chef who's generally behind the scenes and you get to, it's also cool for the restaurant because they can experiment dishes that they don't want to risk at the restaurant. So if they want to do like a five course dinner, like they can come in and just test out dishes and you get instant feedback. What are your most popular classes? So Hoboken, obviously Italian is very, is number one. I mean, I could sell handmade, our handmade pasta one class is the only class besides our cheese making class that is run every single month. Every We have at this point 190 to 200 menus that we rotate through and we develop two to three new ones a month. But that is the only class that we run every single month. People and love there, it. There as much was, as people complain about no more Italian, they love it. <laughs> well, I have feelings about that because I completely, I mean, I live in Hoboken. Yeah. Um, what do you think about, There's too, are there too many Italian restaurants? There are, but clearly there's a reason for it. And to be honest, it probably stems from like the customer base 
saying one thing and acting in another way. Like Italian is probably something that they want to eat more nights of the week. So from a business standpoint, makes sense. It, it makes sense. Yeah, I think of us as like Little Italy, right? Like it's like yeah. the New Jersey Little Italy. So right. I don't, I totally see that there are too many, but I think people like it and they come here to try right. different ones. Yeah, and I mean it's it's hard to open up. If you see a town that has a bunch of Italian restaurants, the less risky thing would be to open up another Italian restaurant <laughs> and just claim to do it better. Yeah. Or you can do something completely different. Like Bar Base is pretty unique um, for, yeah, and they're doing well. So, I mean, I think it's doable. It's just, you know, it, from an investment standpoint, it's probably more risky. I mean, I, I think Hoboken needs a lot a lot of yeah, we're going to talk about yeah. that in a little. I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Speaking of Hoboken and the business landscape here, how has it changed from when you first opened to now? In general, uptown, like the northwest area, there's a lot more businesses. Like the New Boy just opened up. Gravity Vault is new. I mean, when we were there, there was nothing there mm-hmm. besides the beer garden and Carpe Diem. Even just like the walkway area. Yeah, it's amazing. yeah, exactly. I mean, I have a picture I could show you that of like the viaduct bricks are not on when we first <laughs> saw the space. You you took a risk, yeah, and, and yeah. it's paid off. See, I don't think see that I don't think that was a risk because mm-hmm. the rent was cheaper, and Hoboken small, and because of the the way that our businesses, see, like a lot of people would say that I got lucky. I obviously did get a little bit lucky, but I put in a lot of research, and you know, I, you know, yeah, there, you there's a lot of research that goes into to to whether the location is 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 correct for what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like. There's definitely been a little bit more diversity coming to Hoboken. I'm hoping that that continues mm-hmm. um, because, yeah, I am tired of a million. Every time I see a new retail space and I see construction going on, really? I'm like, oh, come on, just something. <laughs> What's it going to be? Something. Yeah, what do you think are the things that Hoboken, this area, I guess, needs? Yeah, I mean, like, I think, like, more cocktail bars, but I don't think that cocktail bars downtown by the path work because that's not really where that crowd is. Yeah, they. I mean, the one closed, right, Winston, and right. there's there's a, you know a few that have been opening, right. but it's we'll see. Yeah, I mean, Monroe's looks awesome. I just wish it was more uptown because I'm not going to go there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I'll go get a cocktail there, but I just wish it was more uptown because that's where like you know when when my wife and friends go out nowadays we just go to Jersey City because you have Dullboy, you have Matthews, you have an infinite amount of places that are older crowds and they're not as packed. So of course we need to know some of your favorite spots for different dishes. So we're going to do a little rapid fire. It's going to be a mix of what we normally do and then what sure. uh, we we do for you specifically. Are right, you ready? Sure. Favorite spot in the area for chicken parm? There's a pork chop parm at Autostrada. Can that, mm. yeah. that count? Yeah, counts. Okay. Best spot for Chinese food? Can I say Thai? Can I say Shri Thai? Then that... Counts. That's a, that's the tie ties two down. <laughs> no Chinese for you. We just don't eat that much Chinese. Mm. I actually went to a. I think it was an Asian cooking class at yeah. your at Hudson Table, yeah. and that was awesome. Yeah. So that's where I, I mean. I if you have Chinese any recommendations food. for Chinese, I'll ask you. And you low can, fat chow. Okay. Try it. Where's that? It's in the Monroe right okay. right oh, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. No MSG. Yeah. So <laughs> best spot for Italian food. Cordo. Mm. Right. That's Italian. Very good. Yeah. And I'm friendly with Mark, so not an ad. <laughs> Thai food, you said Shri Thai? Yeah. What about Mutz? Best spot? I guess Fiore's, right? Best spot for pizza? Um, 10th Street? Pretty, yeah, they're, they're hitting it big yeah, lately. I mean, I heard they have like a bouncer out there now because of the uh, Barstool Sports. But <laughs> I mean, 
honestly, Dozino, even though I, I obviously I'm friends with Mark, but like Dozino's just always been like my go-to spot for like a, a nice, you know, it's obviously not a slice pizza, but also like um, Uptown Pizza by City Bistro. That's very unheard, like very untapped. underrated. Yeah, because my staff goes there a lot because it's close, and we get it for staff mm-hmm. meetings and stuff. Best spot for coffee. I'm gonna say boy. Best spot for Middle Eastern food. Say Barbies. Best spot for a good dessert. Hmm. There's a spot. I don't know if you've been in in the Heights. Uh, Dolce de Leche. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a dollar fifty for like four (laughs) things. Tray leches. Yeah. yeah. Favorite Jersey City spot. Uh, I, me and my wife love Jersey City. So uh, I mean, right now Lo-Fi. I go to Lo-Fi a bunch for drinks, and it's kind of the exact vibe of what I've been saying. And and their pizza is phenomenal. Oh, the Detroit? The, exactly. That is uh, really so good. good. We did a, an article about it, and it's... It's... I don't think people, like, know how good it is. so good. Yeah. Best spot for a cocktail, which I think you mentioned, but I want to hear it again. Yeah, Dull Boy. Dull Boy. Yeah. I mean, I, we've, we live right next to Dino and Harry's, so Dino and Harry's is a pretty good spot for, like, a classic cocktail, but mm. I, just the vibe in Dull Boy. It's a you good know, spot. Yeah. I love the books on the wall. Yes. It's really yes, cool. 100%. Best spot for vegan food. I don't eat that much vegan food. Mm. Yeah, pass. That's that's fine. I'm trying to get more into vegan food because I I think it. it. Yeah, yeah. I just I I couldn't even tell you right now of I I guess Churritos, but I haven't eaten there. The vegan Churritos. Yeah, there's well, yeah, they have vegan. Oh, they closed. Yeah, they closed that one downtown, but yeah, that's okay. You can still pass. Yeah. Best hole in the wall that people need to know about. I mean, Dullboy and Fox and Crow. I mean, like that whole. On Palisade Ave, I just feel like eventually that that whole area will blow up. But like, Fox and Crow is such good live music. It's not really a hole in the wall, but mm-hmm. just every time they 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 have like such ra- James Calais. You know, yeah, James Calais. Yeah, he's been performing the there teacher. on Thursdays. Yeah, <laughs> but he's he's awesome. He's and, so good. Yeah, and like even just other random bands. If you just pick a random night and go to Fox and Crow, you'll just it's just under or not known bands that are just trying to get out there. So. Yeah, it's it's a, a good area. There's a lot going on there. Best but delivery. I mean, we we order from Bear Burger a lot. I I go by speed, like and mm. consistency of speed. So Bear Burger is good with speed. Bear Burger Alfalfa because we oh, I love we alfalfa. we order. Yeah, I eat the Italian two to three days a week. Yeah, um, so good. But it's it's so consistent. It's twenty twenty to thirty minutes. Yeah, I've never had a bad ever had a bad, and I probably ordered there thirty five times yeah. in the last three months. <laughs> yeah, I. I probably about the uh, yeah. about the same. Like I never a couple days a week. Yes, hundred yeah, percent. Always good. Yeah. Shout out to Alfalfa. Yeah, a celebrity, and this might be a random one for you, but this is back to our normal. A celebrity you wish would move to Hudson County, or that you'd like to meet. I'd like to meet Brad Leone. You know him from uh, Bon Appetit. Yeah, he lives in Hudson County, so that's not really a good Does answer. He really? Yeah, he's, mm. always, he's always at Cordo, and I saw him at like you know Jono Pendolfi, the plate shop. Yeah. Um. So I've saw him there posting. Oh, so he's really he's cool. around a lot, but I I didn't realize he was in Hudson County. Yeah, I mean, I would just love to to be on that show or like just meet him, and because <laughs> yeah. he's just he's the most. My wife and I watch twenty minutes a, a day of of his content. So anyone in Hudson County that you haven't met that you'd like to meet? Not that I can think of. I mean, I I would love to like. The who was the Saku owner and those guys? Oh, Dan Gray. Yeah, just I I wish that there was, and I tried to do this. I'm probably not following the rapid fire. This is that's okay. Rapid fire, Fine. <laughs> I just wish there was a way to meet restaurant owners because we we tried to do an industry night once, and it's just not easy to get everyone. It's but it's just it would be so helpful to figure out like almost like a forum. 
where you guys like restaurant owners can ask questions and um, pick each other's brains and things like that and like learn because a lot of us are starting from scratch you know it's and need help or exactly. just want to talk to someone about it it's so true yeah Dan's great though yeah I, I feel like you guys would hit it off yeah. in the summer do you stay in town or go down the shore um both I would say mm-hmm. I honestly I love Hoboken on the weekends because except for Pier 13 which is just a nightmare but <laughs> yeah it's just it's so nice that's why during the World Series, I, w- I was gone for six weeks every summer. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm, I haven't been there in four years, but it's so nice being in New Jersey. It's the best time of, of the year. So we go to Asbury Park a decent amount. We go to Lavalette. My, that's like we're going to be in Lavalette for two weeks uh, in August this year. But yeah, probably a, a, f- a good balance of both. What is something that needs to come to the area? Cocktail bar. Definitely, definitely cocktail bar. Yeah. No, it's like more adult bars that are focused on adults not like a sunday fun day like yeah. yeah yeah if you had to give advice to someone just starting out in your business or in an industry of entrepreneurship what would your biggest piece of advice be hmm tough question i have a lot tough for last <laughs> yeah i mean i have a i have a lot let's hear them i would say to to question everything that you're being told because there's a lot of dated ways of approaching things. And I feel like us as a business are constantly questioning that, whether it's customer service or um, like how the, the importance of an employee, because to be honest, like the, the concept of customer comes first is not as true as it, it used to be. Not that we treat our customers extremely well and it, yeah, it's a constant priority, but without an employee, there is no business. Um, so it's it's kind of, you know, it's, it's hard to find that, that balance mm-hmm. of making sure like there's a lot of instances where it's either the employee or the customer, but just working hard, really. Like I know there's a lot of people have this concept of disconnecting, but I personally think if you're disconnecting, you're just never going to be successful because I'm not disconnecting. So when you're disconnecting, I'm connected and I'm working and I'm and I'm thinking of ideas and yeah. Yeah, I totally hear you. When I'm, I dis- guess that wasn't real. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, that, okay. that wasn't really like any advice that anyone's given me. It was more so advice not to listen to. <laughs> But no, I get it though. The disconnecting thing is interesting because they do say like when you do disconnect, quote unquote, that's when you should be like regenerating for your business. So yeah, I it's mean, a good, it's a good thought. I do it. Like I like when I'm not working, I'm like emailing myself things right. to remember for when I start working right. the next day. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when I'm showering and when I'm driving the car is the only times that I'm truly disconnected. And during those times is when I have some of my best ideas. Mm-hmm. So, so it's good to take that break, but then use it for for good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And also prioritize. I mean, I said it, but like really get feedback from your from your employees because um, we're fortunate enough that we haven't had much turnover in five years and we have 28 employees. And it's, it's not easy with the, the various personalities interacting with each other. But it's just really, really important to to have the ability of growth within the business and stuff like that. And like think about that as a, as a business owner, like, is there a growth if I was to work here? Would there be any future? And if not, then how can I make it? worth it for them. What's next for Hudson Table? So I didn't actually, we haven't really announced this, so I guess I can announce on here, but uh, yeah, um, so we're, we're opening in Williamsburg. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, ideally we will be open in June, July. As most people probably know, you never know with construction. (laughs) So yeah, that's going to be a pretty large space. It's going to be two floors with a cellar level and we'll have a liquor license there. Oh, how cool. So it's almost like restaurant-y concept. Exactly. We're going to have a cellar. We're going to be doing everything we do here, but the business is cool because 
if a certain place likes chef's tables more, then you can do more of those. If they like hands-on classes more, you can kind of go in lots of different directions. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, we're also looking at two other cities, and we're hoping to eventually start to get into restaurants, stuff like that, kind of like branching off of the... Because we essentially develop little concepts within our concept. Sure. And like the chef's table. Exactly. And like the plated dinner is a good example. So almost scaling those into their own individual businesses, but being in the branch of Hudson Table. Because Jersey needs, Jersey has a lot of great restaurants, but there isn't like a consistent restaurant group that is there that you can say, okay. And you're so. doing it. Hopefully. I mean, Philly's only been open two weeks, so it could be a complete failure. But <laughs> no, it'll be great. I'm committed at this point. Yes. And Williamsburg, Brooklyn Brooklyn listeners, get ready. Yeah. That's so yeah. exciting. Well, thanks so much yeah, for coming in and Thank spilling you. all the Hudson, Hudson table tea. Thank you again. For our self-care segment this week, Sean Engel, owner of Witchy Wisdoms, is here in studio. She's a spiritual mentor, brand strategist, entrepreneur, and tarot reader, as well as a Hoboken Girl contributor and local resident. Today, she'll be talking about everything sage. Welcome, Sean. Hello. I want to hear all about sage. I love sage, and sometimes when I'm burning it, I feel like my husband's like, what are you doing that for? Like, what is it actually doing? <laughs> so tell everyone, including my husband, who's probably listening, what is the sage actually doing to the environment uh, that you're in? Absolutely. Okay, so yes, smoke clearing is a huge way to clear out ener uh, different energies. Sage, in particular, is kind of like energetic bleach. Mm. So it just kind of zaps all of the energy out. Um, Palo Santo is also having kind of a moment right now it's it a little is. bit of a softer vibe so rather than just like exterminating everything it kind of just like uh quells the negative and then amplifies the positive i will say that because both of these things are having a moment there's also uh the need to make sure that they're ethically sourced mm. because white sage is of native american property and palo santo comes from an old african tree where it doesn't work until that tree has died of natural causes so just make sure that when you're sourcing these you're you know going in the right places but any kind of smoke clearing will do different things based on their own energies so it's really something that anyone can use when they need to clear their energy, their space, their air. It could be used in the home, office, anywhere. Absolutely. You could even sage yourself. Ah. Yeah. Just going like around your aura. Let's say you had like, I don't know, you're in a funk or something today. So you just sage yourself and then watch it dissipate. That's great. Mm -hmm. And with sage in this area, where can someone buy it? Uh, I believe... Well, my favorite place to go would be Love Locked. In Jersey City. In Jersey City, yes. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where else they sell sage, to be honest, in the area. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to find these days. It is, but I know that Carrie does a really good job with ethically sourcing, so you're safe there. And I'm, other than that, there's lots of places online, but I would support your local businesses. Totally, I think, <laughs> and, and uh, Carrie has such a beautiful shop. Mm -hmm. Now, with sage, when you're doing it, is there anything you need to know 
when you're creating the smoke? Yeah, so when you light your sage, make sure that you have a little bowl to catch all of the ashes underneath because you don't want any like fires to erupt. We're trying to like extinguish <laughs> the negative energy, not create chaos. <laughs> so when you when you light it and you light it evenly, it'll start to smolder. And as long as you have that um, catching cup or bowl underneath it, you'll you know limit mess as well. But another thing about sage is even if it's not smoldering a lot, that energy, that smoke is still extinguishing a lot of the negative energy. They actually did a study based on like the different energetic vibrations before and after sage and like just the general feeling and it does work. It really does. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I mean, because I know that people do it all the time, but to know that you've t- they've tested it they've tested it yeah because sometimes it's like okay it's like airwaves <laughs> yeah I know well you can feel silly just like okay <laughs> what should someone say when they're saging anything well if you set an intention to cleanse your area I think that's a really good place to at least start mm-hmm. um, so if we were cleansing this podcast studio what would you say mm, uh, well, <laughs> clearing the space to make way for great podcast episodes um, cool when you're trying to bring in an intention it's best to go clockwise if you're trying to expel something out, it's best to go counterclockwise. Mm-hmm. So let's say you had a horrible podcasting guest, like <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> you can take your sage and go counterclockwise and just get rid of that negative energy. So clockwise would be for... To bring it in. Bring it so in. like, let's say it's your first podcast episode and you want to bring in like the, the positive intention for a great interview. Mm. That would be what you do. That's great. And that's for Sage. And Palo Santo, you can do the same thing with? Absolutely same thing. It's just like if you were to compare bleach to like dish soap. Okay. Mm-hmm. So cleaning versus really cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like real heavy duty stuff. <laughs> this was so informative. Thanks as always for coming in. Hey. It was so good to see you. Thank you. The hidden gem this week is Tarico ice cream. And yes, if you live in Jersey City or have been there, you know it's kind of a hidden gem, but also on the main drag. But I love this place because it started as a simple deli, but soon became a hotspot for ice cream when one of the owners developed a craving for it. Pura Barrios, 62, who, like her husband Peter, 66, is from Puerto Rico, and she remembers that when she got pregnant with her first daughter, she wanted the tropical flavors of the ice cream she remembered. He bought the shop in 1968, and the couple married in 1970. And then the ice cream that she remembered really wasn't readily available, so she and her husband got an ice cream machine and started to make it. Then he started to sell it at the shop, and soon customers went crazy for it. The hand crank ice cream became so popular the lines were out the door, and the rest is history. They have spent so many years here in Jersey City, and they are quite the hidden but known gem. This episode's getaway is a last-minute escape that you can take from our urban jungle, or if you're dreaming of something in the summer months, Lake Naomi Club in Pocono Pines, Pennsylvania has something for everyone. It's just under two hours northwest of Hudson County, and it sits in a quiet oasis complete with 277 acres of a lake. It is stunning during any season, and it's a top-rated recreational community. That's Lake Naomi in Pocono Pines, Pennsylvania. And our Hudson hero is the employee in the Hoboken office building that grabbed Guillermo Mesa by the sweater to try to stop him from stealing a bike that was not his. We don't know your name, but you are our hero. 
And of course, our zero is Guillermo Mesa, who pushed the man to the ground and then was pursued by police and taken into custody. Moral of the story, do not try and fail to steal someone else's bike. You are our zero. Our nonprofit this week is Miss Amazing. Miss Amazing provides opportunities for girls and women with disabilities to build confidence and self-esteem in a supportive environment. As a result of these widely held myths about their value, the self-esteem of girls and women with disabilities remains significantly lower than that of girls and women without disabilities. And our communities miss out on the contributions that these women and girls are fully capable of offering. This nonprofit nurtures a sisterhood, builds life skills, and increases visibility of these amazing women and girls. You can learn more at MissAmazing.org and shout out to Jane Dew, who works with this organization very closely. And that concludes this episode of Tea on the Hudson. Major thanks to Alan Barry and Sean Engel for coming on the show, our production team Van Vorst Films, and of course, Mike Soul for our music. We spill the tea every Tuesday morning, so definitely subscribe and rate us with five stars wherever you get podcasts and share with your friends. It totally helps us spread the word and we really, really appreciate it. You can also get in touch with us by following Tea on the Hudson on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and email teaonthehudson at gmail.com. We'll see you next week for a new episode. If you can hear that heavy breathing and panting, my little dog Finn is a mouth breather. He's here with me today in the studio. So if you hear any extra breathing, just know it is him. Say hi, Finny. Oh, now he's quiet. Of course. Typical you. You're quiet now, huh? Oh, there we go. Say hi. Ha, 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 ha.